I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, this is Emil Heskey, and you're listening to the guys of Coppen Frackers. Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of Coffee Podcast Powered by Touchline Media Group. I'm your host Chris and joining me this week to talk about all things Liverpool Football Club, I've got the pleasure of being joined by Mush and Julian. Gentlemen, it is a Tuesday evening in November, it's cold outside, it's becoming that time of year where the nights get longer and quite frankly you could do that Liverpool defeat to worry about in these in these evenings, in these late evenings where it gets dark at four o'clock. You're in the office and thinking, fuck me, I came in, it's dark, I'm leaving, it's dark. How are you all doing today? Um, I'm, I'm all right, man, you know, to go with the weather, irritable spouses and all sorts to deal with. So, you know, <laughs> just shared that with the lads earlier for all you listeners out there. But um, yeah, it, it, it's not nice, but I think, do you know what? Psychologically, I think I handled it really well in the sense of I, you know, sometimes when you're angry and you look for things to be more angry about, I really did well to like not watch any type of football media, not listen to any podcasts, nothing. I just wanted it to naturally leave my system. So I think I did well in that sense rather than finding things to wind me up. I made the fake mistake of leaving Sky Sports News on. So when I was sitting down uh, Monday morning to eat my bowl of cereal. 
they're fucking talking about the game. I was like, oh, for God's sake! Like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to avoid this. You know, I'm trying to save all this, all this energy for for, for the recording on Tuesday. But for God, I was like, oh, typical. Julian, how are you doing? I'm alright. You know, I can't lie. Um, <laughs> I can't, no, honestly, like, I, I think out of all of us, I've been the one that's the most okay because I've kind of taken this season for what it is. The all the bumps and all the because it's not going to be an easy ride, especially with. Uh, how we operate in the summer. Um, but, yeah, man, I've been right. You know, I can't lie to you. This was probably the first Liverpool, Liverpool loss in a while where I wasn't particularly angry at the squad. I wasn't, I didn't really have like, uh, apart from Alisson, which we'll get into, um, who I was pretty upset. I wasn't really like in a big fuss. You know, I just kind of moved on with my life. Luckily, United lost and kept embarrassing themselves. So it kind of made... The, the weekend a bit easier, but yeah, I've I've been alright, you know. How about you, Chris? Your host, but we can still ask you, bro. <laughs> of course. Um, I'm, I'm quite frank. I've had work to kind of take me off a lot of things this week. Uh, so it's not it's not been too bad. Various presentations and whatnot, but but yeah, I think I was. I think it, it's a weird one. We're we'll cutting to it now, but you know, we hadn't lost a game. We hadn't lost a game in 25 attempts. And you kind of forget what losing feels like in, in, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, granted, we did go through a very dark period last season where it just felt like nothing but endless pain uh, was, was occurring. So this was a it was a weird sensation going back to, to run back to those times. But yeah, I mean the typical thing happened when, when Liverpool drop points um or lose a game. You know, the meltdowns and the inquests happen until you know everything needs to be changed. They're all shit. The manager's <laughs> shit. They all need to go. The, you know, we'll fire them all away. So I'm um, I'm quite calm on it to be fair. I'm just kind of thinking they'll use it as a as a learning point. Thankfully we've got the mad scientist himself as our manager. It's gonna take two weeks in his laboratory caught up with you know all sorts of you know weird and wonderful ways to improve the squad and make it a bit more watertight. What's Anik? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That was a good one. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty shit. It's it is very shit losing. Um, so I want to talk about the manner in way the manner in the the manner in which we lost. There we go. Got it there eventually. Um, was it was it a bit concerning to you guys? Because I mean, we'll, we'll get into all the nitty gritty about you know the situations of the game, but. Did the manner in which we lose really affect you guys? Or no. Kind of I'll, be, I'll be honest, no. Um, this was one of the rare games where... Um, actually, no, no. I wouldn't even say this is rare. I'll say this is common when we actually do lose, um, where moments of madness are the reason we lost instead of us just generally being poor. Um, yeah. I personally didn't think we played badly that game at, at, at West Ham Stadium, if I'm honest. Um, especially after the first goal, we had our foot on their necks for a long, for for a lot of the first half. Um, honestly, um, I feel like we cre- we was creating chances as well. There was that 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 chance from uh, Mane where he shot straight at the keeper um, from when Robertson Robertson crossed it in. But I just felt like West Ham had our number um, on on Sunday. To be honest, um, they just played. They, you know, there was a moment of madness in the first goal, which is a hard pill to swallow. But Allison was pretty poor for the first goal. Um, second goal, uh, again, Allison. Um, people want to people want to try to dig out players like uh, Matip and Trent and who else were getting sucked into the ball. But I'll be honest, um, I felt like that that could have been dealt with if Allison wasn't so rash and didn't come out um, 
didn't come out so strongly. Um, I felt like he was rattled this game because West Ham were they're big lads and they were really sticking on him at every set piece. And then another set piece, yeah, we can. And so, and, and then another, and then the other goal, yeah, we can, you know, talk about Trent and his defensive uh, frailties at that point. But at that point, I can't lie to you. The game didn't. The game didn't look like it was going to win. Um, it, yeah, I'm. I'm not, I'm not disappointed to be honest. I feel like you know it's going to happen. We're not going to win them all. We're not. I, I never thought we'd go unbeaten. Um, West Ham are a very good team this season, top four contending, and we just they just beat us, and they, and that's okay. Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it doesn't need to be an inquest. Sometimes it doesn't need to be you know players getting dug out. You know, um, us looking at highlights of when we was out of shape. Sometimes you just lose, and you just have to take it on the chin and move on. And that's what I feel like. A lot of fans aren't doing, but I won't for sure. Um, yeah, I guess you want my input as well here. Do you know what? I'm gonna say in some ways I completely disagree with Julian, and I think this is a healthy thing to have. Um, the first thing I would say is I do agree with Julian from the perspective of losing to an on form, on fire, West Ham United, who are absolutely rocking home and away now. It's not like we went to a ground where we were so likely to win that we lost and it's frustrating. It was like, do you know what? Sometimes teams have better momentum than than our own team. And and, and those are the teams that, that could and should beat you. So I didn't think the fact that West Ham United, who are sitting in fourth place, beat us is, is a shock at all. I think where I where I disagree with um, Julian is how badly we played. I thought I thought we looked like every pass we completed going forwards, it just looked like West Ham still had eleven men in shape behind the ball. It was like it didn't matter how far far, far we got up the pitch, there were still three lines. I was like, how flipping organized are this team? And then and then. On an individual basis, and I'm sure Chris, you're Chris, you're good at noticing these things. Jordan Henderson gave away his first four passes with the most senseless balls down the line. Fabinho somehow forgot his biggest strengths of checking his shoulders. Mo Salah, every time he picked the ball up, you could see he was missing Firmino's coming short to bounce the one-two off. It just mm-hmm. looked like so many of the patterns and choices we're dependent on weren't there at all. And then when I look at defensively, weirdly enough, for me, one of our worst um, defending a high line performances coincided with one of Virgil van Dijk's best performances so far this season. It was a really weird like uh, combination of two things because Virgil's positioning, his recovery speed, everything was so good. But where the hell everyone else was, I have no idea. It just felt like one switch and they were in. So, yeah, not panicking about the result. What kind of gives me relief is so many things were bad. There's no way and there's been no evidence this season that will be that bad on every aspect again, kind of thing. Yeah, and, uh, I completely agree. Um, I'm inclined to agree, agree with the Virgil point by the fact where he saw Antonio leg and it was thinking, I can't be asked for this. Um, <laughs> that bit, I was like... For, so I kind of I get it, but at the same time, at least you know, give me some fake hope. You're gonna at least try and track back for it. Um, yeah, the, 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 oh, I did put it in the agenda. One thing that really annoyed me was the amount of just individual errors that we had in that game in terms of losing possession of the ball and 
Like, fuck me. They, they lost the ball so many times. Uh, <laughs> Do you know the reason why I say I'm not so disappointed with our performance? Sorry to cut you off, Chris. Is that sometimes, even when, you know, for example, the individual errors in terms of like, um, you know, giving the ball away and you know, giving the ball away in possession and stuff like that, it's like, how perfect do we expect our team to be? Um, is a question that I always ask uh, myself and, Liverpool, and also myself to when I see Liverpool fans complain all the time. And also, do we ever are we ever just going to give um, our opposition credit for actually creating those moments for us to lose position? Because as Mush mentioned, every time we got the ball and someone tried to create a pass, there was it felt like there was eleven men behind the ball. And we've got to give West Ham credit for being able to actually get into that shape and stop yeah, the parties and stop our momentum and stop our, as you mentioned, normal patterns of play. Because as much as, as great as we are, you know, um, when a team is able to break us down, I don't like to, I feel like, I feel like we overreact in the sense where because, for example, there was a few bad passes from Henderson um, because there was a few bad passes from, uh, uh, or there was a lapse of there was a lapse of concentration from Trent. That these individual errors are like, ah, oh, they need to be spoken about. Where, in my opinion, they're just forced. They're, they're, they're being forced. That, these moments are forced by great play, great tactics, and great shape from West Ham. Do you guys think though? And, and I'd be interested to know because I don't know if I think this or I'm, I'm joining the dots now, but. Do you guys think there's some weight in the kind of thought that so far this season, apart from United, who are as bad as a bottom half side, when a team like you say, Julian, are playing well against us and do have a good shape or are presenting a tough challenge, we're not able to rise to a bigger challenge? We seem to expose and and demolish anyone with a bad plan. But when someone's got a good plan, we we're struggling to kind of have a better one than a good plan. Do you guys think so? The that? Weird, so the weird example of this is Brighton, because mm, first yeah. half we absolutely wiped the floor with them, and you're an injury. In hindsight, you can now say you're you're an injury away from winning that game completely. You're an injury away, and you know the two two disallowed goals. Whatever happens in the second half just completely capitulates. So it's a weird example to give, but it also kind of backs up the question. And I guess Atletico Madrid as well to an extent. Um Atletico Madrid at home. I mean granted they they didn't have Griezmann who has been has been quite well has been playing quite well. But in terms of knowing what we're going up against against a very good system and people, you know, players who are part of the Spanish champions, even though they do play like they are, you know, Burnley Burnley Espanol um <laughs> at most times. Um we, we we did break them down and you know won the game two 0 So it's it's a difficult one because I think we are playing well for the vast majority of the parts. It's just that in situations where, and this will come into my next question as well, it requires a bit more mental fortitude to get you over the line. We're massively lacking in that in that instance. Do you think, I, I personally think this is the, one of the main things that is stopping us, especially from the way where we're trying to uh, transform and get to the next level. Our midfield is very key. This season, um, our midfield has contributed to a lot more than we're used than we've been used to over the last couple of seasons, and since the and since like the last two weeks, especially by United, and even if we want to mention United, our, our midfield has been depleted. Um, but United was just, was an absolute jolly up; like they have no midfield whatsoever. Like I, I tweeted, I tweeted on Saturday, like man, just midfielders just go there and just say, "Man, I'm rave, bruv. Like they just go there, for <laughs> like it's calm. 
But against Brighton, who are very tactically set up, and West Ham, as we saw this Sunday, the frailties in our midfield where we're missing guys like... Was Fabinho playing on, on, on Sunday? I can't remember. So he played... He played Atletico Madrid and he played West Ham, but he didn't play the game before against Brighton. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, I feel like in terms of creation, especially in terms of keeping the ball, we didn't have that kind of midfielder. We've seen this season that Henderson's been quite poor in terms of being able to keep the ball and making the right decisions, apart from a, a, a choice few games. And Ox is Ox. Um, the less the less I said, the better. You know? So... I mean, Julian, do you know what? You, you say that, right? I think a big thing, and, and Chris, you are, it's legit to ask about the mental thing. But I think maybe this is an accusation towards Klopp, to be honest, that maybe Klopp is a bit fixated on, or he's already picked the players that he associates with fortitude and a strong mentality, where other players who have maybe come into that, the likes of Cater, the likes of we've talked about Simicast and people like that, like sometimes it's okay for the nucleus to evolve and that that's healthy, I think. And, and I think that Klopp goes maybe too quickly and too easily back to something that's worked in yeah. the past. Yeah. Like the Simicast, the Simicast point is a, is a big point. Um, in terms of uh, Sunday, Simicast and even this season, his, uh, him not being used um, because Robbo, you know, is, a senior player. Yeah, senior player and forcing himself back in the team has really annoyed me. Um, Robertson was quite poor on Sunday. Bar, bar the one. Started the game well, though. Started the game. So this is the thing. I kind of disagree with the Robbo was... So I think it's... I completely get why everyone is saying Robbo was shit. And, you know, I'm not saying he gave a 7 out of 10 performance who needs a you know bouquet of flowers to, to celebrate, you know, <laughs> the shift he put in. But what we could see was... In terms of being our main threat, in terms of putting balls in, he was consistently getting behind. Now the final ball was poor, but he was getting in the, in those positions. And I think okay. it was a bit of a, I think it was a bit of a tactical tweak where he didn't have someone to play off the one twos with either. But again, Chris, I, I again, would you... agree. To, sorry, Julian, just to say, I would agree to the extent that this is the first time this season, or this is the most in a single game this season where I've seen us or Robertson be an attacking threat throughout the game and be an option. Yeah. It just felt like uh, there's been so many games this season where it just felt we attacked down the right because Henry it felt, it, it felt like, so I don't know if you guys remember, I mentioned it on the post-match pod um, and Julian, I'll bring you back in the convo in a sec. It reminded me of Southampton from last season, Southampton away, mm. where we can see that really stupid Danny Ings goal early yeah. and because we're in such a bad way, again, we've got midfielders playing in defence, that's depleted, and we haven't got the weaponry there, that we just default to keep going down the left, and we put basically just play I, Robbo Iso ball, where he's getting in, and he's in these exact same positions, but he can't get the ball in. Yeah, yeah I was going to mention um, that uh, I, I, I think that's by West Ham's design. Um, they, they have probably clocked on to how, I don't know if you guys would agree, but how Offensively, Robert's Robert has been quite poor this season, um, and they kind of I even saw it for the for the last goal. They they were very lopsided on Trent's side when it came to being on the counter attack, and they gave Robert that freedom of all right, cool, you can try your crosses, and he tried a few crosses. It wasn't really great up until you know there was the one chance with Mane, 
And I think he got one. Did he get an assist? I'm not sure. I can't remember. Do, um, do you know? Do you know what, Julian? That's a great point. And I think a big example of that is throughout the first half. If you guys recall, every time Robertson got in behind, I think we've been waiting all season saying that if Robertson gets into better positions, he'll deliver something good. But this game, he got in to great positions to cut back and almost every single cutback failed yeah. um, in that first half. So it was a bit more worrying because now we don't have the excuse of saying we're not playing through him. This time we played through him and it didn't work. Yeah, his his, his playmaking um, over the last like two seasons has been has dropped drastically from the level he was he was at when him and Trent were obviously going back to back trying to hit assists. Um but yeah man our, that game was just it was it was just um it was it was just a mess. Like we just looked we it was just a mess in terms of like when and this is the thing that I don't like about Liverpool is that when we concede it just looks so bad. Like we can just never succeed a goal where we like where we're like, you know what, nice goal. That's nice. When we can see, it's just a magazine. Like, guys are falling on the floor. Guys are out of place. Trent is, just like, doing a, a mad a mad dance because, he, you know, he's lost his man. Like, it just looks an absolute mess. And that's one thing that I actually don't like. But, so yeah, man. I'll, I'll maintain, to up, up to this point, the only decent goal we've conceded this, this season so far is the Foden goal. That is the only goal. The rest yeah. of them, you can, you can stay. Maybe Brian. Maybe Brighton. Now, Robbo, this this so the, the Brighton second goal is fantastic. It's it's a it's it's a brilliant goal. It's one of the best opposition goals I've seen at Anfield for a while. But Robbo plays Trossard onside by about five yards. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 one of those ones. It's one of those goals where I can look at it and say, okay, cool. There is something we could have done drastically about that. But yeah, it's a bit of a it's it's a bit of a nightmare. Um, let's get let's get stuck into more of the game uh, itself. So. I mean, we, we can all agree we, we were crap. We, 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 we were poor. But I keep hearing that West Ham were, you know, were fantastic. They're, you know, they're, they're playing really well. Now, I might say something a little bit controversial here, but I thought they were just okay. They didn't do nothing groundbreaking. They didn't do nothing to I've never seen before. They were, but that, but what, where I, will, I feel like the praise comes from is that they knew their, they, they knew their limitations. And they use it again. Well they, get, well, well, they get the early goal, don't they? So that sets them up to basically yeah. just fall into their shape and just play on the counter, which holds into their strength. You know, yeah. never, I would I would have never thought with West Ham teams and, and Flair would be in the same sentence. But you know, Ben Rama on the counter was fantastic. Four Nels is really coming to his own under Moyes in the last eighteen months, and it's you know, kind of a weird one to see. Um, but yeah, they, they had a game plan. They stuck to it. I I think it needs to be kind of separated though the two halves I think because watching the first half it very much felt like and like Julian said about crediting West Ham it very much felt the first half like Liverpool have the ball do Liverpool have the craft and the guile and the ideas to break down West Ham United and West Ham didn't attack first half they, they, apart from the goal there was nothing for our yeah. oh yeah they, they were they were very happy um, yeah I mean I, was, I think Klopp said it after the game it was like playing the West Ham of old Basically referring to Allardyce West Ham teams, where they would literally do the exact same thing. I mean, again, you've got to, you, you've got to applaud um, more. You, you've got to applaud them. They, got, they get the other goal. They basically get Suchek and Rice to sit in. Mm-hmm. So you basically got to bait, you've basically got to beat four centre backs, which they're basically playing at that point to, to break through. So 
it, the game is the game at that point. And and I think the other thing on top of that is the fact that they kind of did the whole they gas they gassed out Liverpool a bit. So like yeah. um, it, it was all, it was like they timed the game plan was perfect in the sense of they saw out the first half. Liverpool were a bit wanting for ideas by that point, and then from the second half it was like, do you know what we've? It's almost like um, Fergie from fifteen years ago. It was like earn your right to play by having a solid base. They mm-hmm. created that solid base and then in the second half came out to actually offer an attacking threat with that shape as well. We'll talk about their first goal a little bit more kind of later on when we talk about set pieces, but um, we bounce back really well. I, I, I think, you know, when we're knocking on the door, we're knocking on the door. It's a fantastic free kick from Trent. Um, what a goal. Brilliant knock on from from Salah, placed it perfectly. And at that point, you think the Liverpool are really going to push on. But the odd thing is, West Ham gained more momentum from that than we did. We, we it did it did nothing for us. Honestly, I could not believe how that goal like did not invigorate us. We didn't look more likely to score. It was it was unreal. I, I don't know. I don't know. Liverpool. I always associate us with like a quick one two in terms of when we, when we hit a team. But no, Julian, go ahead. Sorry, I'm 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 kind of taking over the convo. Yeah, I was going to say maybe maybe it's because the goal was scored in the first half. Mm. Mm. You know that could have taken a bit of wind out of our sails. Maybe if it was if it was scored in the 55th minute, we would have been able to get the ball straight back up, straight straight back on, and, oh, and, kept, going, and kept going for another like 10, 15 minutes and got another goal. Um, but yeah, that that goal and and even then that goal kind of gave West Ham a bit of wind in their sails. Um, they, I was just about to mention just before. Um, I was just about to mention that they use their attributes really well. They know their limitations, but they also know their strengths. They know that they're a very physical team, and as much as Matip and Van Dijk deal with physicality well, they still um, and they still also with West Ham have a bit of technical. Te- technicality, technical ability about them. You know, where they're able to get moments where they're able to suck Matip and Van Dijk and then get them out of position but and, and still hold on to the ball as well. Um, it was, it was, oh man, it was, it was a game where we, it, I just felt like we just couldn't come up with any ideas. I did, I literally turned off after the third goal. So I don't know how we played. Um, I, I saw Rigi's goal. Nice finish. We'll get to that soon. But <laughs> we play a lot better. We're yeah, insane thing. It just it just felt like an uh, uh, when when they got to that third goal, even if even if Origi scored, still I saw I still had no hope that was coming back. They really shut up shop. They really was able to get compact and and actually press us well and get the ball back whenever we even tried to get the ball. We didn't have a lot of time in the ball. Um, they gave the army tourers no time. Gave our fullback no time. And yeah, man, it was it wasn't it it wasn't good. Joe was re- wasn't really good as well. <laughs> I must say. So this is uh, Mush. I, I, I want to get your opinion on this. Um, mm-hmm. I thought we missed Firmino a lot in that game. In terms of that was a game where you need players who can play two positions, who can kind of fill different roles. And this is where I think Man City in these type of scenarios are really good. And playing without a number nine really benefits them because everyone is essentially a midfielder and no one is delegated to score the goals where they all all really pitch in. And you kind of see that against United in certain areas. I think that's a great point. And I think the other big thing about the the one thing that this game, I don't want to use the word exposed because I'm sure this 
this three will score, have scored heaps of goals against other teams. So it's oh, not a oh, sure. standing yeah. problem. But I think one big issue this game was um, what if you if you were to draw like a diagram of the, of the lineups, right? Jota, Salah and Mane, Jota especially, plays close to the centre-backs and is looking to run in behind and be a goal threat. Whereas Roberto Firmino is he's looking for the maximum space available away from them. And I think that was the big thing. It was almost like, like I said, with the Salah and Mane thing, like Salah would pick up the ball, just praying that in the corner <laughs> of the box, Roberto Firmino does that thing where he takes five steps forwards, appears in front of a defender, bounces it off, and then suddenly Salah's in. And... So this is where I felt really bad for Mo, is in the second half especially, because there were certain moments when he got on the ball, he was electric, he beat three men, yeah. And no one was making a run to kind of take the fourth guy's attention away mm-hmm. or be that like kind of not even for, like making a false run or, or whatever. But yeah, that's where you could have done with you, you know Firmino there and, and for Robbo as well because he was putting balls in areas where Roberto Firmino would normally be, or at the very least, you'd expect uh, Oxley Chamberlain to be running at, running at a late attempt. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, and and I think the the other thing that was super frustrating was um, Suchek and Rice form a really solid base, yeah. and you need a clever mover, someone who's going to drag one of them out or away. And Jota just and and this isn't an insult to Jota. I don't think many footballers in world football are as intelligent as Roberto Firmino when it comes to being off the ball and dragging them around. So when you're coming up against a great shape like West Ham's, someone like Firmino's smartness off the ball is is super super important to being able to disrupt their shape and julian i'll come back to you on the on the jota point do you think it's unfair um for for cop to essentially kind of make jota do the firmino role in, in the aspects that mush has talked about or do you think he should adjust his game plan a little bit if he plans to play, play him up front and just play to his strengths a little bit more uh or, or even simply just Bringing Minamino, who we know is someone who can, who has those attributes that Roberto Firmino does have. Maybe it's not the full extent, but if you're gonna continue with that game plan, maybe bring him in to draw the attention away. The thing is with uh, with that question is that do I believe that Klopp is telling Jota to play the Firmino role? I don't think so. Um, I thought I think Jota may see what is required in that number nine role because you know you, you you're definitely gonna have to link up with Salah and Mane regardless of if you're a shooter or not and may try to attempt the same things and it might not just work as well because he's not as technically gifted as Firmino or as I would say as much said intelligent in terms of finding the right spaces doing the right things in the moments where he's under pressure and actually uh, yeah finding Mane and Salah so that's that's a question that I probably don't that's a question that I probably don't have the answer to um it, I don't know if it's Klopp, if it's if it's instruction by Klopp, but or uh, if it's uh, you know just taking aspects and learning from his teammate as he should um, to contribute the best that he can. So yeah, that I, I don't think I have an answer to that one. You know, do, do you know what, Chris? That is such a great question because now when I think about 
how we looked. And then when I think about the most successful way Jota played in a Premier League game, Jota, when we played against City away last season, where we had yep. all four playing, where Firmino was a bit deeper, it that right now, well, against West Ham, we had three deep central midfielders. And then there was a massive gap and Jota was like an out and out nine. That yep. connecting player, rather than having three deep number eights when West Ham only played with the two in the middle, might have been the key to being a bit more expansive and easier to unlock West Ham, maybe? It is a difficult one because it's a scenario where you could possibly do it with Oxide Chamberlain, picking the ball up and taking it 10, 15 yards. Mm. But obviously, because West Ham being so compact, sitting deep, making us then push 10, 15 yards more further forward than we normally would so they can counter, it really nullifies it. So, I, again, I mean, I, I did I did say West Ham didn't have a, you know, um, didn't do anything special that we're not seen before. But again, I'm not saying it wasn't a good game plan. It's just, you know, wasn't kind of anything breaking the mould, really. Um, but if you all saw kind of Klopp's comments on Five Live, especially, um, one thing I do like when he, <laughs> one thing I do like about him when he loses a game, he doesn't take it well. He's he's basically like all of us. Going to you guys with with, with the referee in display. Um, the oh God, who was it? Was who was it? Was it Cresswell on the oh my tackle God. on that Henderson? Was a shocking, shocking challenge. And the the fact that some people are saying he touched the ball. And yep. then went into Henderson. He just about touched the top of the ball. It's not like he made a clean connection and then Henderson. Oh, he, he's a good foot off the floor. And I was oh, like, oh, it is outrageous. <laughs> the fact that, and 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 the fact that VAR looked at it for about three seconds as well. It was just like, yeah, okay, let's move on. It was just player welfare just counts for nothing when when it suits these referees. So yeah, it's I don't know. I wasn't impressed whatsoever with that one. Yeah, it's Julian. What about yourself? Yeah, um, I, I I felt like yes, you know, I don't know why there was an argument that there was a follow through. It was a follow through, so he didn't have control of his legs. Like that's just dangerous play. Uh, he could have really hurt Henderson. Probably did hurt Henderson, but Henderson just moved on. So yeah, that, that was I wasn't a fan of that. But again, I don't feel like the game was lost on that decision. Agreed. I think it's really important to to, to definitely say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Correct, man. Nothing to do with the result. 100% because, I mean, for, you know, there's so much that happened within that first half. There's like, I mean, there's, there's what, there was six minutes of stoppage time, which was which was insane, where, again, didn't help us in terms of, you know, after scoring from about 35, was it? And we just didn't, didn't kick on, so... That 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 period of hell really didn't really didn't help, but but yeah, I mean, the, the weird thing for me was that the first half was, you know, you get into a point where you come into a decent bit of form, you fall off a little bit, but whatever they did at half time, just completely, it, it it just didn't work. So I don't know whatever adjustments they made or or what Klopp said, but nothing from around about as soon as we kick off that second half to about seventy minutes in, and at that point we're two we're two no we're two one down. Nothing comes. Nothing is coming off properly, and the the, the game's gone. So, what, what do you guys think of that kind of like beginning of the second half? It was I bad. Was stunned. Yeah, it was. It was. It was bad. Like we just. It just. It just felt like nothing. Again, nothing was working. Was we we couldn't get passes together. Um, 
West Ham were finding moments even before the goal where they were getting in behind and even sticking it on us and getting the ball and, and creating patterns of play. Even though Antonio didn't score, he was a nuisance and a half. Um, he mentioned oh, yeah. he just had to keep the ball away from Van Dyke to just try to, to just to just do their best. And that just goes to show his quality. Because if Van Dyke, um if if Antonio was get, getting the ball and Van Dyke was able to get the ball, maybe we would have created more. Maybe he would have been able been able to calm down the team because it was quite erratic in the in the second half. But yeah, man. Um, again, what I've been saying it, and I'm going to say again, the credit to West Ham. Um, they were just able to disrupt us so much that we just looked a shadow of ourselves. Especially we looked quite we looked quite scared um, up until up until you know their third goal. We look we look we look we look, we look quite short shot. Um, Rash decisions, sorry, rash decisions, of course, from Matic getting sucked in. Uh, Allison again, uh, was not great for the goal. Yeah, we, we, we just looked, we just looked like we wasn't on it. Much, I think you guys have a lot more words than I do for that first 20 minutes. I, <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm even, whilst you guys were talking, I was I'd have been happy if you just went, it was dog shit. <laughs> Mate, I, honestly, I have, when I was watching that first 20 minutes, firstly, I'd like to think I recall games quite well, but I cannot recall a single good thing we did in that 20 minutes. And on top of that, I had no idea. How, like, I was watching it thinking, I have no idea how we're going to score a goal. That, that was literally it. That was my my assessment. It was like, yeah, we're not scoring today. And, and yeah, it, I know we're going to go on to it, but it took for a certain man who looks like he's got a bit of energy about him to uh, to come on and change proceedings. I've got a I've got a wild take on this, by the way, and it might result in you lot shouting at me when we get onto that specific topic. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we when we come to it. Um, sorry, I'm trying to load up the the FB ref report to see what the chance was, but I'll I'll, I'll do that a little bit later on. Um. The second goal, West Ham's second goal, I could do an entire part on just how terrible we were for that goal. Um, the, the scenario around it, just how they break, how they're allowed to break, how Bowen is just given a free run of about 20 yards, then lays the ball to Fornells. I, I think Allison's not entirely too bad. He does everything right. He puts his body on the line. It's just that he's his hands aren't strong enough, and it's the the oddest thing goes mm. underneath him. But I'm still annoyed with this goal now. The actual performance, I, c- I can't care about it now. It's happened, but the naivety and the schoolboy, the good you know, the good quiet boy behavior with this second goal is just something I can't shift down my head because I know I know for a fact if James Milner was on the pitch, Bowen is getting hacked. Mate, there are three men within a yard of Jared Bowen. And not yeah. one of them has kicked him down. I, I couldn't, I was literally watching it like, right, is someone going to do this? And the worst bit is, it's like watching the ball ricochet off of some of our players and still end up with him. It was just like great teams. Shithousery is a very important ingredient of success. And it was like, right, are these guys here to win or just here to play football? And it just yeah. felt like the latter. And that was super frustrating for me because... I was looking at Fabinho like, mate, I'd take a yellow. And I'd, I I mean, the way you're playing today, I wouldn't mind you coming well, off Oxley anyway. Oxlade-Chamberlain knows he's coming off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's nothing to lose anyway, right? There's nothing to lose, anyway, right? to lose so, just, so just take him out. 
And the, the most annoying thing about it is, again, we play Atletico Madrid in the week. They have a player sent off for doing the exact same thing. It's it's just insane about just just not having that now. Really, it's it's baffling. Oh, it, super poor, man. Super poor. And and what do you guys think of like how what you were saying about Bowen having the time to lay off to form? It just felt like we weren't even close to recovering a position where we could block the pass. It just felt like I was. We were waiting for it to happen. Yeah, it was dead, bruv. Like, we were just literally hanging about, waiting for passes, watching passes being made. No... Intensity and recovery. Yeah, no intensity. No, no... Seeing that for that second goal, they were just like, all right, cool, we've lost, man. Let's just, yeah, just score. Let's just score. And, yeah, man, really annoyed me. Really annoyed me. Like, I just, that, that's that's it, really. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, um... It's 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 fun. It's football fundamentals one hundred and one, isn't it? Really, when you're in that specific situation, you you do what you do whatever it takes for the greater good, as it will. You, you just take your mad stuff and running. At the, at, the, at the worst, you're getting a yellow card. You're not getting a red because no one's through on goal. Um, and for a midfield of that caliber, you know where you've got no. Obviously, Henderson. People are blaming Henderson. Where is Henderson for this? Where, where, where's Hendo? Why isn't Hendo in this situation? Because we're, we're, we're that intent on trying to get a second goal, he's that far forward, he can't get back. What do you expect to do? Instant tramp, transmission like his Goku. It makes no sense. Um, but Trent should do better. Matip definitely should do better if we're not getting sucked in. That was pause. That was insane. Um, but well, Chris, Chris the, the, word, the word you're missing is experience, right? No one is yeah. young. No one is, is a kid in that situation of the midfielders he gets past, right? It, everyone has one things everyone's played in this team for, for it not it's not Curtis Jones do you get what I mean like there's there's I enough think he, he, he's there. even foul probably Curtis Jones does he's, have that he's, spike he's street smart like that isn't yeah. he yeah super frustrating man very frustrating um, and it just kind of goes into the, the, the overall theme of the game really um before I tell this let's have a conversation about set pieces <laughs> 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 the backbone of what football is built on and so what do we actually? So what do we think? It's become a bit of a recurring theme this season. We're shit at it, bruv. We're just dead at set pieces. We can't. We hardly ever score from them. We hardly ever. Actually, no, that's a lie. We got a few from set pieces this year. When have we scored from a set piece this season? Uh, I believe it was the game where Naby scored one of the first games. What, uh, the volley. Yeah. Who was that against? That was a cleared corner, though. It wasn't that we scored from the set piece. What did you score from a corner? Who was that against, by the way? That was against... Was it Watford? Uh, no, Watford was 5-0 away. It was someone at home. I think it, was, it wasn't Norwich. It wasn't. Palace. It was the last it was, goal. Yeah, Palace. Yes. Was it? it was the last goal of the game. I remember that. I think it was Palace. We should know this, considering we we're an NFC podcast. Hello, yeah. everyone listening to a Liverpool-specific <laughs> Fantastic insight. Free Panama for the Patreon, by the way. <laughs> Someone, Someone's um, listening, but... screaming down their flipping headphones. <laughs> if you know what... Actually, the good Twitter poll. If you know what if you know what game that specific was, uh, at Christian underscore mother24, uh, and let me know, whilst calling me a bastard for not knowing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's becoming a bit of a theme. Um, 
the Havertz goal, there's been countless of us. Brentford again as well. But I mean, for, for, for this game, most, what, what are you thinking with, with the set pieces uh, on both ends really as well? Because I think we should be doing a lot better with the personnel that we have in both boxes, really. Um, I don't know, Julian, do you want to take this first? Uh, yeah, I'll take it first. Um, what I would say with a lot of set pieces, yeah, and this is probably a slander Allison podcast, but have you noticed that Allison has been getting, is probably at fault for a lot of the goals that we can see from head set pieces that he either should be, should be positioned on his line better, should get a better hand on something, should be more aggressive in his box. One of the two, make a pick. So, for example, the one from Havis that you mentioned, great header, great header, but maybe Allison could have done better. Um, How would he have done better, though? Because that just about dropped in. I think that's hard. I think the XG of it was like 0.05. Yeah, I don't know what else he could have done for that one. Which is mad. But I, I, I get what you mean. Maybe he could have it's one of those ones where you could claw it away last second. I'm just saying, so from set pieces, I've never really been, I've never really been like, for example, ah, uh, uh, maybe, um, okay, maybe for the Havertz one, you could have said, okay, uh, Robbo could have picked up Havertz, but let's be real, he wasn't going to get sucked out that much. And it was just a great header, but you're never really looking at your defenders like, oh man, he should have, he should have done better. He should have, he should have done this. He should have done that. It's mostly Allison again, this, this time around should have been stronger. In attacking, in, the, in attacking the, in attacking the ball from the corner, and yeah, man, he's he, Allison. Over the last eighteen months, yeah, you've been a bit. Nah, this is Julian. I think you are being super, super harsh right now because if I spoke to you two weeks ago about how good Allison is, Allison has had a fantastic season so far. Apart, oh from no, no, yeah. no, season, yes, over the last, but over the last eighteen months, I would say like. It's been quiet. You know what I mean? Like there's I been, there's been some moments. There's been moments, a lot of moments. He's overall been good this season, though. Don't get don't get me wrong. He's been great this season. He kept us in games. He's been brilliant this season. So that when Glam said that he shouldn't get paid, that's when I was like, whoa, that's a bit far. Yeah, I, I didn't get that. Yeah, I, that was a bit far. Now I'm I'm going to give Glam the benefit of the doubt because it was very much heat at the moment. But when he said drop him, I was like, for who to that with breadstick arms or the terrorists <laughs> on the bench? Which <laughs> which one do you want? Yeah, so, but yeah, no, he, but yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt much. No, no, keep going. No, no, no. I, I mean, I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Because I, I do have some points I wanted to make about it. Um, well, I don't know. But I think the, the big thing here for me personally is from what I'm looking at right now and the way we defend set pieces is that we have Matip and Van Dyke who are very capable aerially. But I think we have a culture now that's forming on both our defensive and attacking set pieces where there's an expectation of everyone else defending within the team that we want to we want them to to win the ball. So suddenly when it's not them two who are challenging for the ball, everyone else is a bit like, oh shit, I didn't I didn't think I'd be have to do some of the defending within the set piece. So I think it, it's a bit of a lazy kind of um it's lazy kind of passing the buck and responsibility onto our only two um, attacking aerial threats or, you know, aerial strengths. So I think there needs to be a bit more of a culture of like, when you see goals conceded, and especially when you look at replays, Matip and Van Dijk are normally, you know, mid-air. 
but every other player is on their heels just watching what's happening. And I think that sets up a very big thing of like, to be fair, it's it's almost like Matip and Van Dijk's fault for being so good in the air that people have so much faith in their ability to defend or attack them. But it's a bit more like, you know what, you're all participating within the set piece and you guys need to actively, you know, be engaged because you might be the one who needs to clear it or score the goal. I think that's I think that's completely fair. Um, I think it's a bit of an issue. I think it might be more of an issue as well. Now I think about it, we operate in a zonal marking system, so teams, you know, they're, they're seeing this with Van Dyke and Matip in certain aspects of the zone, and they're getting players who you know keep going sneakily... from post. They keep going from yeah, post. They keep going from there, post. Right? Yeah, I mean, their their first goal. I, initially, I thought it was a foul. Because it just looked like a hard basketball screen, um, but then at the same at the same time, it's it's a halfway house, isn't it? Because it's either a foul, or if Allison has to do better, he has to basically take out Ogbonna, and then it's a penalty. I I think personally, it wasn't a foul at all. Reason being is that Ogbonna just happens to have jumped and ended up in such a position where he is guaranteed to get the ball. Like you said, like Alisson can only get the ball by fouling. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes a pass is coming to you and the only way an opponent's going to get to it is by fouling you. It's the same thing. Like mm. you're just left with such a place where the delivery and how it's come, the guy at the front post, well, I mean, the, the guy covering near post isn't going to be able to jump for it. It's going over him. It's not going past Ogbonna. It's just destined for him to get to the ball. But then how do you save it? I guess that's the question. He's now three yards from goal. Do you expect mm-hmm. Allison to save it if he doesn't come out for it? Well, it's the thing because you, you expect him to kind of claw at it and clear it ten yards. So he's a got to fight through the contact and then b not so far that no one can even get on the uh, get on the second ball, which is it's it's is a difficult one to actually analyse really when you do think about it. And it's just good tactician in work from from um, from West Ham. But I also think of it with, with one thing: how can we don't do more of that? We've got such good players who are nuisances. Imagine sticking Mane on the opposition keeper. Fuck it in hell. Well, I'll tell you the first problem. It'd be a nightmare. The first problem, Chris, is that the only corners we take are outswingers. So you don't. And it usually hits the first man. (laughs) Yeah, but even even if it does go over the first man, if you just think of the natural trajectory of the ball, it's never going to land on the keeper. So mm. it's always going to be penalty spot or, you know, six yard box. It's not going to be on the keeper. Whereas an in-swinger instantly... Pr- I remember that period two years ago where every team against Man United would crowd seven men around De Gea and they do an in-swing. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I would love to see Matip van Dijk, you know, Origi if he's playing, all of the big lads just around the keeper. Like, go on then. See, see if you can come out and punch it. I feel like we had a game last season where it was quite similar to this. And it might have been towards the end of last season, after doing my research and look at it, I think it might have been like a Burnley game where they <laughs> would do the uh, it's always Burnley, of course it is. Um and they were doing something very similar, but we cope with it more. Oh yeah. But yeah, but after after go back to the vault and I might be chatting complete shit, but I, I vaguely remember something similar to this, so I'll have to go and check. But uh, J- Julian, what are you thinking about the set piece pieces? Uh it's just poor. It's just poor, man. Um, I can, I can, like, we, we, if it was sometimes like we're too relaxed, and again, as much mentioned, we rely too much on Matip and Van Dijk to kind of get their head on it. 
Um, with uh, with Allison, he doesn't. He's pretty good, actually, to be fair, at commanding his area. But as of recently, with set pieces, I don't know what's going on. He's not really getting the hand to the ball as much as he used to. Um, yeah, that, that's that's what I really have to say about it. It's just really bad at the moment. I can't lie. So I want to talk about West Ham's game plan uh, for, for set pieces because they basically they basically treat you like a, like a good boxer does. Um, you know, setting someone up for the knockout. You know, they work the jab, work the jab, work the jab, and then boom. Next thing you know. Uh, you're on the you're on the canvas crying because you've been knocked out. Uh, that is basically how West Ham approaches with the, with the set pieces. So why do we basically seemingly fail to adjust and just have too much of a focus on the near post um, versus the far post for Zuma's goal, where East is basically left wide open? I think we definitely had a lack of options, man. Like in terms of creativity, um, there wasn't much on the pitch um, apart from Trent and Robbo, and Robbo we saw wasn't the best when he was given ample opportunity to to kind of create um to kind of create chances for us. Um but yeah we didn't have a lot of variety so it was pretty easy for West Ham to just shut down what, what we were trying to do. Um what we and what annoyed me even more is that the person I was supposed to give us variety, Tiago came on and we didn't look any better. We probably looked created the one chance, but so I want to. I want to. I want to get into that a little bit more later on. But it, that is the probably one of the funniest sub appearance. I can look at it now and think it's funny, but at the time, my head was my head was kettled. Yeah, uh, I was my chest, yeah, I'm my so chest was that. burning. But he looked like you get you, you bring on one of the silkiest footballers in, in world football, and he looked like he didn't have a clue what was going on. Yeah, like, honestly, like, like you look at the football and think, "What the fuck is this?" You know, <laughs> you know, you know when like a cultured like footballer, pro footballer, comes to goals and then he just like does what yeah. he does, but then he looks up and everyone else is just doing an absolute madness. That's actually how Thiago felt. That's how it felt with Thiago coming on because you could see the fundamentals are elite. The way he touches the ball, the way he looks up, the way he turns, the way he plays yeah. with the ball, and then you just look up and then there was nothing. I even I remember one 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 pass he tried to do that, which was kind of over over the top, and it just resulted in nothing. And he lost he, he lost the ball so much. Yeah, um, in situations where we know losing the ball will end up in a counter attack, and it was that was the yeah, most frustrating part. It was insane because you look at this guy to come on and be a bit more be, be, be a bit more stable, but he, yeah, it was it was insane. Now just going back to that that that, that culture goals point, and I'm, I'm in no way comparing myself to Thiago, but I'll never forget a game where I played a seven aside, uh, looked up and there was a guy literally going going straight to the halfway line to drink a, a can of dark fruits. So that was what? Um, <laughs> yeah, like everyone's like stuff was by the half by by uh, I mean you know seven aside, it's like you know they, they cut the pitch into three bits. Yeah. Um, and you know, everyone's stuff was aside the pitch. He just obviously like took a bit of a breather for a bit and just like cracked open a can of dark fruits. So I was like, I mean, in cave, fighting demons, yeah, <laughs> he, he scored twice as well, which was the mad thing. So I was like, fighting demons, Michael, Michael's secret stuff, if you will. Um, let's get on to the subs because I'm gonna say something a bit mad here. Um, but Arigi, when he comes on. He was really good. And it makes you think that maybe bringing Origi on a little bit earlier, potentially instead of the Thiago sub, might have been the right thing to do. Well, are you, are you, are you, are you, are you like Thanos? Perhaps I treated you too harshly. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, he could, now I'm going to say it, 
and it's a bit mad, but maybe playing against Arsenal. No, 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 let's no, let's 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 calm let's calm down. Let's calm down. Uh, because he looked he looked the one I thing did, that he did quite well was yeah. So you guys can talk. I didn't watch. So no, no, no. He was he was quite physical, and he was a presence pretty much wherever he was. To be fair, Mush Chris, you are saying you are hinting at things that I am now going to emphasize a lot. <laughs> now, one thing. That, and now, guys, listeners, we're going to go back in time a little bit, right? We're going to go back to around 15, 16, where a 21-year-old Divock Origi was one of the most talented young strikers around in Europe. Divock Origi was physical, was able to pin his man, was able to hold it up, and would then lay the ball off and sprint to the box with the desire to score a goal. He could header, he could shoot on the spin, he, he, he was thirsty for goals. That thirst, I don't know why it has appeared five years later, but this season, it seems to have just reappeared. And I think the one big thing that is happening is that we've finally, three years too late, stopped with this experiment of Divock Origi on the left wing. First, Oh, week. yeah, yeah. Thank God that is over. And secondly, <laughs> God, what a shock that Divock Origi looks better when he plays with our two senior wingers, he plays with some senior midfielders, and there's a bit more competence around him rather than players making their debut for the club. So I think, in a way, Divock Origi might be reaping the rewards of his patience and maybe some work he's been doing in the background because I think we all know with Origi, he actually has, me and Ellis talked about it once, people think Origi is slow and and isn't physical. Origi is rapid, he is strong, he is fast. He just seems to have this languid Nicolas Pepe style that is finally letting go of. So, no, Chris, mate, I am super with you. I think if we want to bring a striker on who needs to ruffle some feathers to give our other attackers some room, as well as have, having some goal threat himself, there's no harm in it being just because it's not a new player. Diva Karigi has been that player before, so why can't mm-hmm. it be him again? And he's had some, uh, and he's had some really good cameo appearances too. I mean, Champions League, I think he's been really good. Um, mm-hmm. I'm willing to drift aside EFL certain switch on, switch off performances because, like you said, Mush, it's playing. And for the most part, it is basically I've never seen these lads in my life. We've never trained together. We've just been cobbled onto the pitch to get a result exactly. out of Preston. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, he's looked really, he's looked good. He's looked switched on and engaged, and he kind of, it's, it's not the pieces of the puzzle of fighting starting together, but I think he looks like a bit renewed and he's got a bit more purpose about himself. Yeah, a useful resource, right? That that's the main thing. One hundred percent. Yeah, no, I completely agree, mate. I'm I'm with you on that. It's not as crazy a shout as you once thought. I feel, a bit, I feel a bit better about it now. I'm going to get absolute. <laughs> I'm definitely going to get absolute pelters when this goes out. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not shying away from it. I think it was. Um, I think he. I think he's got a big role to play this season, especially as we have to utilize the squad a bit more. And Julian, I'll come to you on this. Post international break, do you want? I'm. I'm hoping Touchwood that we get more of a settled midfield because I think a settled midfield will solve a lot of these issues that we've had in the past kind of two three weeks. Uh, do you both agree with that? We would all want to sell midfield, wouldn't we, um, Chris? But uh, the, yeah, true. <laughs> these midfielders that we and Klopp has decided to rely upon aren't very reliable. Um, so that's my biggest problem. I was discussing it this morning with 
uh, Peter, or was it last night? The fact that we have eight midfielders and we can't rely on these eight for us to have a, these eight for a full season is absolutely insane. Like, there was a lot of... I'm even saying that. I'm even saying before I talk about him. No, go for it. But there's a lot of talk about Genie and his and how available he would have been. And it's getting so pathetic. Like, it's getting so pathetic. Like, we are still fixated on a, on a midfielder, which we used to debate about every week. And, to, and people were getting angry every week. And again, Peter made a good point in the group chat. Thiago and Kater getting minutes and getting time is an upgrade on Genie. I think we can all agree on that. Um, but the thing is with that statement is that do Thiago and Kater even provide Genie minutes? Do the both of them combine together? No. And this and this is really unsettling our midfield because it's, it's about time for that for those two to take responsibility and kick on and be mainstays in the team. So that's what so that's so that's what it is really like we just need a lot of stability as we as we when we when we've been the most successful we've always had the same defense same midfield same forward line for ninety percent of the games but can we even get that out of these midfielders you know we've got about four midfielders that are that are injured at the moment uh, two of them are teenagers two of them are guys that we're supposed to rely upon it's a bit shit. And then the three that we have left, uh, Fabinho, amazing. Henderson has been very off it this season. And Ox. <laughs> so I'm hoping, because I, I think Thiago is not going away with the international team. So I'm hoping two solid weeks on, on, in Melwood will make him, uh, you know, especially off the back of that cameo appearance as well. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll kind of especially with the tact- the tactical elements as well. I mean, it's crazy I'm saying that about Thiago, a player who is, you know, so uh, a renaissance midfielder. Um, but I think he'll do I think he'll do him the, the, the world of good. Um, but Bush, in terms of the squad utilisation, do you think players like, you know, Origi, like we discussed, but also Minamino, um, and more importantly, Costa Shimakas, do you think these guys should be, uh, and, you know, granted we've got, you know, dead rubber Champions League games, Mm-hmm. To give guys a bit more minutes and get people more rhythm up to speed, do you think we should be integrating them within the setup a little bit more? Yeah, but I, th- I think the only way a successful integration happens is is what I was saying earlier when we were discussing Origi, which is it's it's all I want Minamino to play and do well. I want every player to do well, but I can't I can't expect Minamino to feel like he has a connection with Mane and Salah when he never plays with them. Mm-hmm. We need these guys to be integrated into the team or if you're having less minutes but the chance to play with a good level of first team lineup so i would love to see over this busy busy period we've got coming up i don't mind minimino starting as long as it's it's you know mani and salah around him or jota's around him you know it it can't be i can't look at like you said i can't look at Origi and minimino and be angry with them when the only chance they get to play is with each other so, um, so yeah, I, I think squad integration is huge. I think Simakas is a different problem, mate. I think Simakas is playing better than the person he's competing with in his position. It's mm-hmm. no longer a should he be given minutes to see what he's about thing. He's just plain and simple playing better the guy than the guy who's a senior player ahead of him. So, I'd like I'd like to see Robertson out the team to 
to be made to prove that you should be back in it. And there's no reason why that has to be done in an aggressive way. You can give Simicass an hour of a game and then give Robert Robertson half an hour to show why he should have been playing in the first place. I think there's healthy ways to do that without either of them losing match sharpness. Because I don't think he helps now as well. He's going to go away with Scotland. I'm not too tired. I'm, I have no idea why there's another international break, by the way. It, it baffles me that we've had like 17 in the past month. It seems like <laughs> that way anyway. Um, so I don't know if things are actively on the line, but one thing you know about Robbo, from his own mentality, he's going to run himself ragged. Mm. So is he going to come back still a bit jagged? Because he very much looks like someone who could just do it three weeks on a beach somewhere, but can't we all? Um <laughs> which is that's the problem and that's the problem with Robo is that you know what he's about you know how he is and you know what kind of how much desire he puts into his game and how much passion he has for both his country and club you're human though like it's gonna catch up with you and I feel like Klopp really needs to do some assessment going forward in terms of how much he utilizes Robert when he has such a talent in Shimakasi on his bench, like Shimikas should be playing a lot of games this season. Like he should be playing. He's not. He, he's not really stepped a foot wrong. Every game that he's played, he's impressed. Being amongst the top three or four players every time he's played, it's just unfortunate that he's not getting his chance. And I'm pretty sure Robo can do with you know maybe he, maybe he wants to play so bad, but he can do with some time on the bench and bringing him in, bringing him in for games where he's able to bring back his form and, and so he's not able to perform. In his worst light, completely agree. Um, yeah, sometimes you know the pride gets the better of you when you think you can keep pushing and pushing through. And you know, I think Mane said something very similar where it was like, he yeah, basically I don't need rest. To, he turned to Kevin, to Kevin Gates and said, I don't get tired. And then <laughs> he looked completely knackered towards the end of one season where I was like, Yeah, you yeah. definitely do get tired, you are like the rest of us. So you know, put the pride down and, you know, take a seat on the bench, brother. Um, yeah, I think that was some, some, some great stuff there. Uh, a few questions before we do end the pod. Uh, short and sweet. Steven Gerrard, it appears, is the favourite for the Aston Villa job. Um, a, do you think he should take it? And B, do you think he could be successful with that group of players that he does have at the moment? Mush. Um, I think it's a good job to take. A, a there's money. Mm-hmm. B, B, I think Steven Gerrard and the kind of person he is and the kind of myth, mystical kind of nature that he has around him. I think a fan base like Villas and the the how passionate and and how I think it's a great place for the park. I think. You could get the buy-in very easily. Yeah, I think it's it's a really good match. Same way Rangers was a good match for him. I think the other thing is there's there's a good level of pressure because it's a big club in terms of fan following, but there's not pressure in terms of like Everton who have unrealistic expectations of who they are and what they need to achieve. Because I think I think for example, if he gets we thought Villa were this amazing thing last year and they finished 11th. So I think with Villa, it's very easy to become a bit of a, a likeable side without actually it needing to be incredible results in the table, if that makes sense. Like you can be yeah. noticed, you can be noticed for the football and the product without it needing to translate to like 
trophy success or, or positional success. So I, I think it, it's the biggest job he can take without the pressure of it being bad PR if it doesn't go that well. That would be my take. I think he's also got a really good opportunity to bin Tyro Mings as well. Um, <laughs> just because finally I don't, brave enough, someone brave enough to do it. I, I don't know what bondage Dean Smith had with Tyro Mings, but <laughs> the only way he could play Tyro Mings was by playing a free at the back, and it made zero sense whatsoever. Um, so mm. a fresh set, uh, he was playing Twan's Abium is equally as unstable. I mean, I, I, I do like him as a footballer, but I don't think he's a top half Premier League footballer. Um, mm. And I think, the, and the good thing about Villa is they've got a really good set of attacking players which he can work with, and they've got one of the better young players that I've seen uh, recently, and you know, Carney Chukwemena. Um, mm. He's he's fantastic, man. Um, I, I think it'd be a really good job for him. But I also think, at the same time, for me, I think there's still a little bit of a job to do at Rangers in terms of winning that league again. So if you if you could go back to back, I think he has free reign to kind of go wherever he wants. But I think it's always. It's always a difficult one, uh, Julian. I'm, I'm interested to get your opinion on this. To take a job halfway through the season when you've got quite a pronounced identity in a way that you want to play football-wise. Yeah, it is difficult, um, and he seems to have have a good thing going at Rangers. Um, for in my opinion, I don't, I don't think Stephen Gerrard should take this job. You know, and the reason. Well, I was going to say because you've recently just took it as well. So yeah, yeah, I recently just took it, and it's it's pretty stressful. So. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, Full manager diaries coming soon, but um, uh, I don't think he should actually take the job. And the reason I say that is because he's he's played his cards very right in terms of when he's been taught, asked about Liverpool. He knows that he's not ready, and he should also know when he's not ready for the Premier League just yet. I feel like maybe by the end of the season he he might be. You know, he he would have had three three seasons. Um, at Rangers on these belt with two of them being league title wins. Um, but, and I also always say that I don't come to England so soon because at the end of the day, England will always be here. Like, there's always going to be a job somewhere in England that you can come and, that you can come and get. And Aston Villa, let's be real, whoever they get um, will probably not last more than three, four years, if that. And even then, if the, the Aston Villa job is not available, I'm sure Newcastle will open up soon. Maybe even Tottenham uh, will open up soon. But yeah, man, I just definitely feel like he should play his cards right, stick it out of range until the end of the season. Even Who even knows by then what kind of clubs would be available for him to come back to. And even then, if he has another year at Rangers, that wouldn't be too bad, would it? Um, so yeah, man, just play your cards right. Don't do anything stupid because once you come to the Prem and you ruin your reputation, your reputation will be ruined for a long time. But then, Julian, what, what is there to ruin, though? Ultimately, you're, you're coming into a Villa side who have players who are much better than their current position is. Even if your plan is good, I, I mean, if your plan is good and you're just stable, their natural performance level will mean that it looks like you're doing a great job anyway compared to what you walked into. I think it's a very easy set of circumstances because of how crap Dean Smith was to walk into and look good straight away. And on top of that, you have basically about 15, 18 games to understand what your squad is lacking. So your full pre-season can be about signings and integrating the players you want to keep and the new players that come in. I think sometimes mid-season is the best because you don't need to spend a half season after a transfer window working out if things worked. 
but then you say that, but in reality, let's be honest, um, even if Steven Gerrard has his ideas and tries to implement them in the best way that he can, will the players respond enough to give him the results that he needs to keep his job? Will they, even though, yes, I'm sure he is an upgrade from Dean Smith, you know, I'm sure Dean Smith, you know, had his ideas and had what he had to do and it just didn't translate well. Will Steven Gerrard's ideas translate well? Um, will, will even isn't, even... That, isn't that the risk, though, whenever he walks into the job? Yeah, it will be, but I, I still feel like, you know, it'll be safer for him to learn his trade a bit more than to jump into the Premier League straight away because we, as I said, as I mentioned before, like, at the end of the day, yes, he's Steven Gerrard and yes, he has a lot of clout in the Premier League and yes, he's won... Um, the league with Rangers, but I don't think clubs generally look at that as oh, I'm gonna, t-. yeah, because he's Steven Gerrard and because you know he's won one league title with Rangers, with Rangers, you know, we're going to be so gung ho on I taking think- it on him because even now, I think it's, I think it's still contentious of him getting the job. I don't think he's the first name on their list, but then Julian, I would argue that that thing you said about learning to win and becoming more and more accustomed to managing sometimes you become too accustomed to managing at that Scottish Premier League level. And then eventually, someone like Neil Lennon, who won a lot of titles in Celtic, for example, that doesn't carry weight when you get to the Premier League. So sometimes proving you've done it at an easier level doesn't equip you for doing it at a harder level, I would say. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think there's a, there's some quick wins at Villa as well, which is, which is the nice thing. I mean... We'll talk about new signs and stuff. You've, you've got a £35 million man in Emi Buendia who hasn't got fire in this season. So, you know, if you get him activated, it is, you know, I hate the phrase, but it is like a new signing because he's done fuck all up to this point. Mm. Um, kind of integrating, uh, you know, Leon Bailey into into the, into the squad more, having him have a bit good, more of an influence. Good players too. like Danny Ings, Matty Cash, a good midfield in McGinn, Louise. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's good players. I think Villa are a good side. Yeah, it's it's a, it's it's a it's a good team. It's a, it's uh, it, with all the jobs you think could become available. I think it's one of the more attractive ones that will that will be available that will, will be open this this season. Um, and Dean Smith will land somewhere anyway. He, I think he's a, he's a decent manager, but I think for what the vision Villa's board have in terms of their next level, he ain't gonna cut it. I mean, it, it did feel very very much greedish, and you know, whatever happens at at certain points last season. Um, but he'll end up he'll end up somewhere and do all right. So it, it is what it is. But you know, it, it's it's not it's not going to be a Frank Lampard situation where I'm very I'm very surprised that Frank Lampard's getting another job again, considering what the fuck happened to Chelsea. <laughs> the name's always going to carry weight, though, right? Frank Lampard, yeah, for sure, going to get you somewhere. But I I feel Frank Lampard at, uh, at Norwich could be some. It could be some good content coming out. Of that. That, that's all. All I've got to say about it. It's going to be some good content <laughs> that comes out of it. Um, uh, yeah, and the last thing I wanted to ask you guys re- re- real quickly, um, tweeted from the account earlier on, that um, according to Fabrizio Romano, Liverpool are prioritising, looking at potentially trying to bring a winger in um, in January, uh, obviously with Mane and Salah going to AFCON. Um, you know, from watching football, as you guys do, um, over the course of the season, has anyone really caught the eye who you'd like to bring in? I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. La, 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 la. I'm not listening. Quick children, if you put your fingers in your ears, you can't hear the words. No, I'm not listening, man. Like, until I see, man, like, all of these journals stop chatting shit in it. All of you, man. Like, like James, you're, James Pierce, you're like, you're a dog of the podcast, but no Liverpool trying to hear from you anymore. 
there's a militia ready, all you man, just allow it in it. Like, just wait for them, just wait for Liverpool to tell you, yeah, we're signing this done. No, no, in fact, don't even wait for them to tell you that because they'll tell you that and, and then you man will be getting pammed all summer. So just wait for them to sign, do a Paul Joyce, Paul Joyce thing, tap-ins and just keep quiet. I don't want to hear no names. I don't want to hear no Adiemi. I don't want to hear no Dokus. I don't want to hear no one. I don't want to hear nothing until we sign somebody because they do this every single time. They get people's hopes up. They get people's hopes up. They put out reports. They put out art- articles. And then they're dumbfounded when Liverpool fans get excited about it and keep I keep pestering them for weeks and weeks and weeks when we're going to sign someone. And then when we don't sign someone, they get abuse. And then they start acting like they're going to punch someone up because they're mad angry that FSG left them out to left them out left them out to uh, left them out to dry. So allow it. Like stop telling us about stuff, please. It's jarring. I don't care. That's that's who I think we should sign. Okay, now I'll. Actually... I've heard it's, I've heard it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> only, um, only journalist that he's certified on this podcast is friend, good good friend of the pod, Paul Ghost. Uh, yeah, Paul. it's only Paul Ghost. That's that's Paul only Ghost. that's only one we respect. The rest of you lot, I can't lie, man. Just allow it. Like we're tired. Paul, man. Paul Ghost has got the full backing of the Kef Protection Agency, so he's certified in these streets. Mush? Well, well, that's our journalistic bookings down the drain. Thank you, Julian. Um, <laughs> now, um, I would say we did have a conversation about him a few weeks, a, a week ago. I think for the right price, Dan Juma is a sick, sick purchase. So I was reading something earlier on. Um, obviously, we've got a bit, apparently we've got a vested interest in him, how concrete that is. It's yet to be seen, but obviously he only signed in the summer, and apparently got in, mm. he's, got, he's, he's got an eighty million release clause, and yeah, yeah we're not, we're, nah, that ain't happening. Okay, forget that then. I think I think the other one that I do like, but I don't know if he can't if he's French or he plays for a a francophone African nation. Is Moussa Diaby part of that? I think he's French. Oh, does he does he come under France? France? Okay, I think he's, I think he's from Mali actually. Oh, is it from Mali? Okay, yeah. I don't know if Mali qualified for the for the Afcon, so I don't want to appear um, appear knowledgeable in a, in a place I'm not. And I think uh, apparently bo- born in Paris, fair, uh, plays, but, for, I mean, plays for France. Oh, fair enough. So, but he's of Malian descent, so we are correct. Yeah, yeah so we yeah. we're not really sure. But then I think the other guy who I think is is a very very for me a, a hybrid between Origi and the wingers we have is Rafael Liao. At, um, Milan. My only worry, shout, yeah. yeah. My only worry with Rafael Liao is he's not a secret by any means. And Milan, he's a very talented, proven player at Milan. So I think it's going to cost a sizable, sizable amount of money to to go and get him. So yeah, I I, I think Danjuma or Diaby, if we're looking for a for a something that can go wrong, but. Rafael Liao, if we're planning to really develop the team, let me ask you. Let me ask you something, yeah, you guys, yeah, and 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 ask you this completely honestly: Do you actually think we're going to sign someone? Um, if the opportunity presents itself, no, 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 no caveats. Do you <laughs> actually think FSG are going to go into January and sign a attacker? No caveats, no well. If Mane and Sally get knocked out early in the check, nah, do you think <laughs> it's their plans for them to sign someone? Go on, Chris. Um, yes, <laughs> I'm gonna say no, and the reason I'm gonna say no is because I think FSG played the long game, and they even if the season F's up, 
with because of Afghan, they'll absorb it as long as we get Champions League. So I don't think we'd side anyone as as impulsive yeah. as you know. No, I, I I think that's I think that's completely fair because if if you have the right target in mind, Rafinha, um, you <laughs> wait until the season's over to go to just, just just pay whatever it is to get to get him. But see, with um, me, it's, it's, it's all a cycle, man. You see, you see that. You see what you just said there, Chris. That's part yeah. of the SG cycle. Oh, if it's the right player, we have to wait. Ah, uh, in January when we don't sign someone. Ah, uh, put um James Pierce or Melissa Reddy or someone's gonna come out <laughs> and say or Ian Doyle. They didn't sign anyone in January because I was waiting for the right the right moment for the right player to come up and the right situation. Then someone's going to come up again. It's how, you Mike with, it's how you become Mike with Neuhaus. That's that's what happens. Drag a name from the grave there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think there's... How are you playing, by the way? I've not actually checked, you know. I've no, You know what? I've been really bad with watching... Um, Football that isn't Liverpool this season. I watched the Milan derby the weekend. I think that's the most football I've watched for a while. I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm going to ask Mike here. Oh, he's probably gonna... <laughs> so I was, I was, I was actually going to randomly ask him. Oh yeah. Uh, so how's Nihas? Is he good? Yeah, you've been watching it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Do it because that'll be good. Content. I'm going to ask him tonight. I'm going to ask him tonight. <laughs> um, I think I think there's quietly a lot of decent players um, that we will have been tracking that have got. Favorable release clauses. So you look at the uh, Adiemi one, uh, just an example. Pony's got a release clause of twenty-five mil. Um, so I think there's, I think there's something out there to be done. Whether it gets done, only time will, time will tell. And of course, if it does get done, um, you will hear about it. But well, you won't hear about it first. Um, you'll get instant reaction from us here at Cop and Fracas, um, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining me this week. Uh, even in the face of defeat. We managed to find the positives and we have very good discussions about, you know, the analytical aspects of things. And, you know, that's all we could do. Give the, give the listeners the best possible content. And if they want more of the best possible content, then they do go over to www.patreon.com forward slash copy and fracas and subscribe from just £3 per month today. Mush, Julian, thank you very much. I will let you go and enjoy your evenings now. Don't um, panic, everyone. Don't panic. It's football. You're allowed to lose football matches, okay? You don't true. get... Yeah. Show them, please. Don't because... win 100% of your games, everyone. We've become it's very okay. spoiled. Yeah, like, it's become very... Like, I, don't, I honestly don't care. Like, we lost. It happens. Like, I'm not happy that we lost. Like, but the whole inquest into how we lost, into this player needs to be drawn out, this bar, bringing up Genie, like, it's mad. Yeah. Over two words. Jesus Christ. Two words, bro. We move, right? We yeah, move. man. We move, bro. Like, we relax. move, man. That's the pod title right there. We move. There. There we go. <laughs> there we go. The streak might be over, but Liverpool chances of winning the league are not. And we go again. We move straight after the international break. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday or Thursday, Friday, whenever you listen to this. Protect your mental health. Stay safe. And we'll see you next week for even more Thanks for joining. We'll see you soon. Peace.
Podcast Network.